Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Matura Srinivasan. Madhu was born in Chennai, India, and educated in the UAE before moving to Canada in 1997. She holds a double major in psychology and law and graduated from Winnipeg Technical College with a certificate in microcomputer systems technician course, which helped launch her IT career and now she's the head of Agile Delivery at Snap Commerce. She is also a coach that helps seasoned professionals with diverse backgrounds enter the job market within North America. Madhu, how are you today? I'm good, Connor. How are you? I'm great, thank you. And I'm really happy to host you here. I know, I know we had a, a you know, good few conversations in, in the past, just talking about things like your experience in banking, moving into now working at a startup, and also this, um, this agile space that you're in. And, and we, you know, we align on a lot of our thoughts around DevOps and also the giving back and, and improving people's careers, getting them into the workforce. So I thought it only made sense to bring you here and at least have a conversation so our audience can learn from some of your knowledge. Oh, happy to be here. And I love the work that Strategia is doing. So uh, happy to help in any way I can. Awesome. Awesome. So let, let's talk then. So you're now head of Agile Delivery. What does that mean? So what that means is that um, I get to figure out what are the right processes that we can bring to an organization that still enable them to go fast, uh, meet our market demands, um, but still have some sort of predictability and uh, some sort of um, order in, in terms of their organization and their operations. And it's a very tricky balance because you have, you know, in one sense that if you have a lot of processes, then you're not going fast anymore. But then if you don't have any processes, you're kind of in the brink of chaos. So having that balance and the right balance is very key for any organization. But you're going to find that balance is very different from organization to organization. So as head of Agile Strategy, I get to figure out for my particular company, Snap Commerce, what does that look like? So through your career, and also I love the fact that you've lived in different countries, you've experienced different uh, cultural, you know, cultural uh, journeys throughout this as well. Your career getting you to be a head, head of Agile Delivery, what parts of the prior experience have got you to be in a position where you can do this role and where you have this knowledge around Agile? 
Wow, that's a very uh, big question. And I want to take you back all the way to high school before, because there's many things that started from my early childhood that kind of brought me here. Um, So one thing was that when I was in high school, I kind of uh, completed all my credits way earlier than I really had to. So you had like 28 credits that you had to do to graduate from uh, grade 12. And I had about like 30 by grade 11. And so, and I was about like, you know, 15 and a half at that time. And the administrators were like, okay, you're too young to go to university so we were like we'll send you to uh winnipeg technical college we'll sponsor that as um from as part of high school you get you know you also get high school credits for that and um but you know just take kind of like a you know a, a filler course or like a, a an easy course to make sure that you're still a high school student to say that we can call you a high school student i'm like okay cool so i took like you know english as my kind of course that was my filler course for high school and i went to winnipeg tech and i did micro and i chose microcomputer systems tech didn't know what the heck that course meant and uh it was basically before that uh, my knowledge in computers was really email, Word, Excel, very basic, you know, not, nothing very, um, nothing very fancy. And when I came into the room, it was a bunch of, you know, stereotypical guys, I would say from, you know, in the early 2000s, like I had, I, I still remember a guy with dreads and, you know, 7-Eleven Slurpee. And he just looked at me and he's like, oh my God, you're a girl when I entered that, when, when I entered that classroom. And I'm like, thank you for noticing. Uh, like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I am, yes. <laughs> and so that was really my first shock, um, you know, coming and entering into the world of tech per se. And, um, you know, as time went on, I realized that all of these guys knew so much more than me. They knew what a server was. They knew what a motherboard was. They were happy picking apart a computer. And I've never seen the guts of a computer until that class. And so it was very intimidating, you know, the first few classes, because even though it was supposed to be a beginner course, people are already coming in with a lot of, you know, inherent tech knowledge. And they were using this as a filler class, whereas for me, it was really a class that I was learning a lot and, and my entry into tech and so fast forward uh you know a few months and then there was the parent teacher meet and I remember that uh college professor kind of telling my mom that you know whether your uh, uh whether computers like your daughter or not uh she really likes computers and she has a field here and um, so, and I had told my mom, I'm like, yeah, mom, I want to be a computer technician. I was very naive at that point. Uh, and um, I want to be a computer technician. My, I think my career is in tech and, you know, this is kind of the path I want to go. And um, she's like, fine, you can do whatever you want, you know, but just get a, a university degree and then you can kind of, you know, go back to computers if you had to. So I went to university, didn't really know what course to take. And um, so I took a bunch of intro courses and psychology and law really called out to me. And I couldn't decide both. And my career counselor basically just said, take both. Uh, You could do a double major. It means you're taking less of an elective. And I started doing that. I graduated. And then um, I had no idea whether, you know, I went to, started doing a lot of exploration. I did, you know, in between, I did, um, uh, what was it? Um, those crime stoppers. I did parole of uh, patrolling just to see if these kind of fields would be an interest to me. Um, and then eventually after I graduated, I came back to tech because I realized that all of those uh, careers were really 
uh, emotionally draining and career uh, and in tech it was more binary where you, your success and what you do is what mean uh, ensures that uh, you, you're you're rewarded your payoff in that sense. And so I started and uh, during my uh, during my Winnipeg tech one of the things that I also um, was doing and through my through my university I was in this job as well was that I worked for Shaw Cable and I worked for the tech support of Shaw Cable. And I was, again, the only girl in the tech support department. I, and then eventually I became one of three girls in the tech support department at that point in time. And the reason for that is in order to get to tech support, they actually made you do a test in the interview. And you had to know things like, what is a TCP IP protocol? What is the router servers and things like that? And only if you pass that test, did you get into tech support. So when I got into tech support, again, it was you know with a bunch of guys and me, and I still remember that the call center was really divided. You had the customer service on the left-hand side of the, of the room, and then you had the tech support on the right-hand side. And you, as people come in for their shifts, you can just see the divide happening. And I was very, it didn't, it didn't really penetrate to me at that point in time until much later on in life that I, I went through all of this um, and it was a very different for me uh, in that sense. And um, I would get, I would get comments with uh, with my customers in Shock Able would be like, oh, you're a girl, you don't know anything. So put me, put a guy on the phone um, in tech support. And my colleagues were the best in that they're like, what do you mean you won't talk to a girl? And they would like, you know, essentially politely, you know, tell off the customer and so then warm front. You had customers, back. you had customers saying they didn't want to speak to you because they didn't think you knew what you were talking about. Yeah. That's so crazy. If you, if you call in Shaw Tech Support and say that your internet's not working and you kind of go through the normal, you know, what's your router doing and all of that stuff. And if they, uh, and it still was not working and you were kind of trying to test, do their testing in the background, um, people were like, people would get frustrated and be like, hey, you know what, you're not getting my TV up on time. You're not getting my internet up on time. Um, I don't think you know what you're doing. Put a guy on the phone. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, and I would have to do it. Like I, I would kind of, you know, transfer the call over. Um, and, uh, but everyone in my, my company was really supportive in that um, they would kind of just say, hey, you know, that's not, that's not how it works. And then they would uh, kind of bring it back to me. They would bring the customer back to me and we would work together. And so I had that support. I had that support from my colleagues. Um, but that was really my first test to, I'm going to really have adversaries and in, in a lot of what I do in life. And I needed to figure out how I needed to build that resiliency very early on because um, I just realized that this was just a taste of what it's going to look like for me in my career. Um, and then it, it kind of, and then I just kind of grew from there. I started in the corporate world. I started with a lot of uh, large financial and insurance organizations started from being a BA, BSA, um, you know, and um, really kind of grew up the ranks in terms of the IT and tech industry. Um, and uh, that's kind of what landed me here now. That's cool. And so ha having seen uh, the way customer support and tech were going down different uh, routes and into separate parts of the company, how does that specific uh, area apply to the, some of the principles that you work with as a head of agile delivery now? I think um, one of the key things is that understanding why people th 
they, uh, say what they say or how they think, kind of be in their shoes. Um, because a lot of the times people are, um, you know, for lack of a word, hurt to you, mean to you, or passive aggressive to you, uh, because they they have a certain belief system, they have a certain way of thinking, and they're either threatened by your belief system, or um, they are very unsure, and so that's what they're putting that up. So once you figure that why that behavior is kind of coming uh, into play, you actually have a plan of attack to kind of address that behavior rather than the words. And But for that, in order to do that, you need to look past the words, you need to look past the tone, you need to look past the attitude and really kind of focus in on the why. And that can be really challenging sometimes uh, when you know, you're know you just having a bad day or you're having multiple days of those kind of uh, you know pushbacks. That makes sense. So what... What now? Now let's have a think, right? So you you've come from uh, some of the big banks, uh, the the likes of uh, Royal Bank of Canada, RBC, um, working in Toronto, and from that organization into a startup. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm interested to learn how how does how do the two organizations, historic large bank, lots of time that usually takes time for things to change. They'll I'm assuming there's politics, there's culture, um, there's different ways of collaborating, and then there's this faster moving more likely naturally agile company which is a startup Mm -hmm. what are the differences in some of the comparisons that you've seen in that time of moving from a bank into a startup i think the reason for agile is very different um so you know and even even when we talk about the word of agile what does that really mean is and for me there's two things there's the the culture piece of it and then there's the you know best practices piece of it and um, what you know the startups really have really well is they have a culture piece of it inherently because they're inherently smaller, inherently very collaborative, they're very transparent. Um, all of those things are there and it's embedded within each uh, employee and it's literally flat hierarchical structures as well. So um, it's you don't have you don't see a lot of you know uh, too many discrepancies from the vision to, um, you know, to, uh, to all the employees there in that sense. In the bigger organizations, the, the problem is that they have so many processes. They need to simplify. And the culture has kind of been diluted along the way because of all of the different hierarchies. Um, so, you know, if you ask, uh, you know, a senior vice president, what is it, what is their vision? And then you ask a middle manager what that vision is, it's not going to be the same. And so on how it gets implemented is not going to be the same. And because it's just like, you know, a bit of a broken telephone where the message has been diluted, diluted, diluted by, uh, you know, six, seven or factor of 10 sometimes. Um, And um, that those are kind of the real challenges uh, of any organization in that sense of how do you keep agile is not just about the practices, it's about the culture and you need both. And how do you find that balance? And so what are some of the practices and, and uh, yeah, what are some of the practices that you would actually use uh, in Agile? Um, so the number one thing is being very outcome driven. So what is it that we are trying to do and what are we trying to achieve and how do we get there? Um, and so a big part of it is that, you know, do we have a concrete vision that everyone buys into? Do we know how to get to, uh, what is a work breakdown structure for that vision? So, um, and that's really key. That's really the starting of any kind of agile best practice, I would say. And once we have that, then it really goes into 
product discovery or feature discovery in that, okay, well, how are we going to do this? What is in order to get to this vision? If you want to be, um, you know, a web commerce company, then what does that look like? And what, is, uh, what does that uh, have to do with uh, what, what our company mission is and what we strive for? What is our goal? What is all of those things need a lot of thought process as part of that. And what are the you know MVPs or minimum viable products that we can kind of put out in the market, test our market to see that these are the things that we should be focusing on as a company, and that piece is very crucial and very vital. How you know I what does just in time mean for us versus uh you know under the company? How are we being competitive? And so sometimes our deadlines are not really driven by internal deadlines. It could be but the competition as well, and we want to be in the space. We want to compete in the space. But, you know, at the fintech space, the uh, web commerce space, any space that you take right now, even the insurance and banking space is moving at an external rate. Um, and COVID has kind of, you know, I think helped speed that along. And so when you have this incredible level of speed going out in market fluctuations and it's the market is so volatile, how do you adapt? How do you change your processes so that you can actually say, hey, you know what, I think this is what we should be investing in. Let's go and do that. And let's have our own whole organization pivot to that. Um, and I think that that's what it really means to have those best practices is that how do you build all of those in, in every single department within an organization so that as a company, when the time comes, we can pivot. So increasing efficiency across all areas of the business and technology and then the, if the customer wants something, a change or a new uh, feature, that can be added or tested very quickly and basically allows the company to have really good prioritization of what they work on and not focusing on the bits in between, like as much about the, the actual tool which is used or the technology used and more about reaching that outcome as quickly and as, and as effectively as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And you can imagine it's pretty obvious even just talking about it, why it would be so hard for a large um, old company to keep up with the pace of change. Um, it is the thing that's on the forefront of most uh, chief information officers' minds, you know, this transformation, modernization era, um, trying to be fast and deliver high quality service to customers and users. But it's, uh, it's there's naturally going to take a long time. You have such a, a large amount of um old culture, collaboration. I don't mean in terms of age when I say old, I mean just in terms of the time that a specific technology has been in place or a tool has been in place and maybe a cultural norm. So I can see that would probably naturally be more blockers in that scenario, right? Like it's hard to, you're trying to change, but you're like, we still have to fix all of the ways we used to do things. And then you probably have people that get in the way and actually say, well, hey, we, we don't want to change. The, this is our job and we've done it this way for a long time. Why are you telling me to do it that way? How much are the people aspect and process aspect impacting the, the route towards change? It, I would say that the, the people aspect is more important than the, the process aspect. Um, because it's easy to say that, yeah, we do, you know, road mapping sessions or yeah, we do OKRs and all of those are best practices, don't get me wrong. But if you don't understand the why, if people don't buy into that, then it's kind of just a tool that's just there for, for the sake of being a tool. Um, you know, just because I know that a screwdriver is a great tool for you know fixing furniture it doesn't mean no I know how to use it effectively because I'm terrible at, at putting together furniture um, and so 
you know, uh, and these agile tools and processes are just like that. You know, it's great if you know how to use it effectively. Um, and it really comes down to uh, people wanting and willing to change, people learning, uh, people wanting to have that mindset of unlearning and learning new things um, and having that as a collective. And how do you measure that? It's, it's, it's a very... Uh, it, it's not it's not a very you know hard metric that you can kind of measure to say yes you know um, Madhu changed from this to this uh, so uh, and then you and then how do you measure that for a department how do you measure that to come for a company um, and that's it becomes very organic uh, in that sense and so but once you have that change and once you see it you like it and you want to be part of it and I think that's what startups have inherently is that they kind of just attract the right talent and that kind of mindset to uh, to get into that but the challenge then becomes you know as they kind of grow and they and they diversify and they become into a large organization how do you still keep that how, how do you still keep that and um you know and, and that's my challenge and I love that challenge because it's not necessarily that I have the answer to it, but I'm willing to try. I'm willing to put myself out there and collaborate with the right people because there are so many smart people who are trying to solve the same problem. So I also have a community uh, that I can kind of reach out to and, and be part of um, and, you know, kind of figure out something cool. And that's kind of part of the growth and learning process. That, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's um it's interesting because you're you it's you're saying essentially while there it may seem somewhat easier to do this within a startup than a large organization, you also have to build good strategy and think forward to the future of okay if we do get it right now and maybe we're getting it right a bit more than it, or a bit easier than we would have in a larger organization, this will also turn into a large organization and then we yes. will have the blurred lines, the broken telephone scenario you mentioned. Uh, also things like technology debt, right? Like, so the, sp the speed of change now is so quick that there's so many, and people want changes so quickly. There's like constant need for new features, constant uh, need for new use cases. So I imagine even in a, in a smaller organization, there's still scenarios like that where you're like, we're trying to change and keep up. We also have to make sure we repair the current systems and, and don't build in debt into the way we work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a key focus right now. I think that, you know, a, a core concept of Agile is built in quality. And that includes having a continuous DevOps function as part of how we work. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you have a separate DevOps department. It needs everyone contributes to that continuous integration and continuous flow. It's okay to have a separate DevOps department as long as Every single developer is also part of that that knowledge share, that group share. I think you know there's a real danger in the industry right now where people are trying to be super specialized in their domains, and when you try to become super specialized, then you're kind of um, adding to the silos that happens in an organization. So it's okay to have a main domain or a focus area, but it doesn't. It shouldn't stop you from not knowing something else either within within your within that same domain area. Yeah, I, I hear you. So still, it, yes, we need specialists, and we absolutely do. It's also making sure they don't lock themselves in a in a box or in a closed room. It's like yeah. making sure that the specialists who we definitely need collaborate with other people, 
and don't think that it's just their area that matters and also have interest in learning the other areas. Like you could be the best at one specific thing, but you have to continuously learn and, and listen to the folks around you because you're not just building one tool, right? You're building something that it's kind of like, a, if you imagine a, a painting, you, yeah. you know, it's not about one color on the painting. It's about how all the colors actually look together. And that's what a good organization would look like. Every piece of the organization has to con contribute and connect to actually form the final product. Absolutely. And I think that's a, a, a great, um, you know, uh, similarity that you brought up because many people don't think like that. They're, you know, I've heard so many different comments where um, people are like, no, you know what? This person is only uh, a QA. They will not help with a dev or a dev will not help with a QA. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm not saying that you're going to be a QA forever or a QA. I'm not saying that you're going to be a dev forever. But if we have all of this work, that's kind of just a work in progress, rather than taking on new work, that's just within your domain feed, can we swarm and can we get the work together? Can we can we push the work out before taking it and taking in a new work? And they're like, no, that you're diluting my field, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're making me into a generalist. And there's a strong pushback against that. And, um, and that's, I think that's the danger. I think that, you know, if we have that understanding that we all work together and if something is not done, it impacts everyone, not just that department or not that, not just that one person. Yeah, that's, that's so true. So how do we observe and measure the improvement and success of something like an agile or, and, or a DevOps transformation? What are some of the key kind of metrics you would look at? I think the, the key would be is how frequent are you delivering to the market? I think that would be the number one driver uh, that you would want to have because um, it could, and I, I would say that in two things. One is that you can define your market. Uh, one could be the actual customer market. The second one could be your own internal market. And what, what I mean by that is that say you have an experiment that you want to try out and you kind of do all of the, the POC, the proof of concept for that experiment, you kind of develop that and you put that into a trial lab or an innovation lab and you kind of have that say, hey, this is what it could look like. That's also putting it into the market. And it's putting it into the market to see, is this something that we need to, we need viable um, customers and we can get that viable customers, right? So it doesn't need that full on, end-to-end -end testing and all of that because it's not launched in the market but it's just enough to kind of maybe get a small group of customers to kind of say hey if we gave you this would you be interested in this because having that tangible having that visual is super important to kind of get that customer feedback because if you just give them a document if, or if you verbalize hey this is my product and would you buy this product they'll be like sure yeah I'll think about it you're going to get very vague answers because they're like whatever, like they, 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 they don't have anything yet. And um, my, I, it could change by the time I could, you know, by the time I want it. But if they see something tangible, if they can actually interact with it and kind of have that set all, all the five senses kind of be part of that, that experience, you're not only going to get whether they're going to get them, uh, get in, uh, buy that product or they need that service. You're also going to get feedback on, yeah, you know, this is great. It'd be better if I could have this, this and this. And there you go. Now you know exactly what you need in a product to have that into a mini successful launch. And so I think, but in order to get there, you need DevOps, you need continuous integration, you need, uh, you need continuous customer survey and research and, and a pulse into what the market is really looking like. And all of that is part of Agile and DevOps. 
Yeah. So if, if uh, for those listening and maybe learning more about agile and, and, or there, and there may be some folks that already know some of this, but it, it's uh, if you imagine the scenario that Madhu has just referred to giving a small taste of this product or platform or service to the market allows the company to get that feedback so much faster instead of spending six months building something you could have spent a few days or weeks forming a smaller um, minimal viable product offer that in a small example and then you know that you can focus on the right things you can prioritize and say this is actually worth our time the customer wants it or that was a complete waste of time we've kind of made a, a, a maybe a small it's not not necessarily a failure here but we've we've learned very quickly now we're going to improve and go towards something else and put, put our energy into something else that increases the the customer service that you can offer the actual ability to deliver something great to the market it also increases the satisfaction of the teams because the teams aren't wasting their time they're seeing true value in the work they're doing yeah absolutely so We've been through a few phases in in the last few years. Um, you know, we've we, for now we're, we're deep into the era of using practices like agile, DevOps. We've in the last few years stepped more into things like site reliability engineering. Off, the, I would say, off the back of uh, of the DevOps um, era that we came through, and so that's really, I would say, approaching infrastructure problems with an engineering mindset. And then there's think now also bringing in chaos engineering, software development engineering and test. There's a number of ways to continuously move forward how we do things like shorten the cycles and, and less silos between teams so that we're mm-hmm. able to actually approach problems much earlier and kind of code out those problems from the beginning. So mm-hmm. what do you think could be one of the next phases we're heading into? Where, where does this sort of the, this change and transformation sector go next? You know what, I think that's still being defined, but I think it's one is that um, we're still uh, one potential one that I can see in it, and I think we're very close to it, is that as we're building code, it's being tested and being deployed simultaneously within seconds. And I think, uh, you know, some people are doing it and, and, and there's some instances that it's uh, it's easier done now than in, in large other instances. But the future could be that, you know, how did DevOps come about? DevOps came about for that exact thing. Hey, what if we just automated all of our manual tasks and, and, and you know, ran that? And that's kind of the initial um, thinking behind DevOps. And now, you know, evolving that is, can we just um, automate that all of it in the whole day end to end every time and have, have those releases? And I think that, again, depending upon the feature and depending upon how good your DevOps is, uh, it can be instantaneous. It could be in you know two seconds, um, or it can be half a day to a day, which is still great for a lot of uh, for a lot of companies. But having that instantaneous, hey, okay, you know what, customer, you asked for the feature yesterday. Here you go, it's deployed to a market today, um, and that still kind of doesn't happen, you know, as quickly as customer asked for it yesterday and it ha- it's there you know today. But um, that could be the future. Yeah, and I think we are heading towards that. So just finding ways to really continue to uh, increase the speed and efficiency and quality across the entire software development lifecycle, which really begins with the business case and user case on onwards into uh, into build through to actually getting uh, technology into production. 
So that's it. That, yeah, I, I agree. It's going to, we're going to keep on tapping away at that. There's going to be, I, I think, even, you know, use of not just automation, but adding in um, better things like self-healing, also maybe adding in more uh, machine learning into this process. Mm-hmm. Then we can really scale the, some of the ways we're doing things. So as part of, um, of working in Agile, from what I understand, you also have an interest in psychology and things like um, a cognitive behavioral theory as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Um, so, you know, it was really interesting because every time I went into the IT space uh, and people asked me, what is my, you know, what is my education background? And I told them it was uh, psychology, my Bachelor of Arts, psychology and law. They're like, what does psychology and law have to do with, uh, you know, what you're doing now? And uh, initially I said nothing. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not in the, um, I, initially I kept saying, yeah, no, it's nothing. It's really my Winnipeg tech kind of uh, certificate that really brought me into the interest into IT and constantly kept learning, you know, from that and kept keeping up with technology and demands and things like that. And, um, but then as I started uh, going into more management positions and started getting more into the leadership positions and being a coach, like, you know, I was an agile coach uh, for companies before I got into this role. Um, and then being that kind of, and I really like. I really like my, my, my persona as a coach because um, I get to deal with just the interesting challenges and different mindsets. And what I found through all of that experience is that I'm using my psychology degree. I'm using my, um, you know, my background in behavior modification and um, a lot of, you know, cognitive behavior uh, theories that we are using is basically about action oriented. A lot of the times people have a very, um, a skewed view that psychology is a kind of all theory or, you know, it's a, a people just, you just have to kind of, it's very abstract for, for a lot of people because they don't actually see the practices. They don't actually see one, they don't see the practices and they don't see the value and our practice. And it's because the practices are very simple. Um, and an example of that is I tend to use the power of silence a lot. So I'll ask a question and I'll just be quiet. And what I'll find is that people do not like that silence. People have to interrupt that silence. So I've actually done a multiple experiments and I kind of said, okay, what is the earliest that people would interrupt that silence? Um, and I've gotten eight seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It doesn't seem like a lot when I put it in those seconds for us as, as we're talking right now. But when you ask a question and there's pin top silence, you could see if people are on video, you could see people with fidgeting, people are becoming uncomfortable and someone just says something just to break that discomfort. And sometimes it could be the, the facilitator themselves because they're also like, oh my God, I'm getting silence. And so once I learn to embrace that silence, once I do that, you kind of break so many different barriers and so many different things in a team setting and you're getting to the meat of the problem. And so it's a simple technique. And that's part of CBT and that's part of psychology, but the value is very different depending upon how you use it. And do you know when and how to use that effectively? You can, if you use it all the time, people are like, okay, this is creepy, go away. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> so so I, I, you, you mentioned coaching. You coach mm-hmm. outside of your, your daily role. From yes. what I know, you also... Uh, work with underserved groups and immigrants so mm-hmm. tell me more about that because as you know uh, everything we're doing at strategio is trying to 
lower that barrier to entry into tech financially and give knowledge and inspire people and empower them so that we you know we balance out uh, parities across things like gender race uh, uh, ethnicity culture and so on in, in the industry so tell me more about this coaching you do and, and what you can do for people yeah um so i'll tell you why i got into it and how i got started initially so i met my uh you know i met my husband here in uh, canada he was doing his mba and one of the things is that he's um, he has international experience. He speaks perfectly good English, and uh, he was really struggling to find a job here, uh, and not just within his field, just any job. And I would see him go through multiple iterations of his resume, um, have you know uh, multiple interviews, and not really get a call. And this went on for three months, four months, and I could also see that the level of frustration was also increasing because you're you're being dejected you're being you're like wow I, I can't break into this market and I can't figure out why and then along the way um, there were a lot of people that helped him out in terms of giving him nuggets of advice and these nuggets of advice were like few and far between so and it was coming in when frustration had already kind of set in as well. And so some of these nuggets of advice is, oh, you need to do networking, you need to do coffee chats, you need to do, and I'm like, oh, wait, I know all of these things. I've done, I've gone through and I've, I've kind of been through all of these things. I know what it takes to have my resume picked out of the market. I know what it means to network effectively. I know how to leverage my network effectively. Um, and I know how to make authentic relationships. And so, and I realized that all of these things, if you guide a person through who's looking for a job through this process and it becomes so much more effective. You remove all of that frustration. Even if they don't get a job, even if they implement, you know, two steps of the process, they realize that they're moving towards, they're not stuck, they're not, they're not being blocked. And there's progression happening. And that keeps them motivated, that keeps them engaged as part of this process. And so I started, you know, um, I started testing it out with um, the few, few of my initial clients. And then I really started um, making it and I realized that everyone loved it and, you know, it, it worked like what I, the, the process that I had laid out and the procedures in terms of what I was helping my clients with was something that they really needed. And uh, by the end of it, I had uh, about 10 clients that I was able to help within and find they found roles within three months. And this is brand new coming into Canada, having no work experience, no Canadian work experience, because the number one thing that uh, they get you know, stuck on is, uh, oh, you don't have any Canadian work experience. It's like get into the reject pile. Um, yeah, it's and, like, oh, you, you have no experience then. You're, you're starting zero, even if you've done some amazing things somewhere else, right? Exactly. Um, or if you like, you know, don't have the exact same experience that's been listed out in the, in the job description, you're kind of being... Uh, you kind of like, oh you don't have you have eight out of ten but you don't have nine and ten so sorry no yeah. no conversation not interested in so it, I agree with a lot of this so it, some people because we work with early career talent so getting people to realize that it isn't actually only the exact things on your resume that count it's actually a lot of extracurricular things it's uh it's also showing yeah it's showing you're well-rounded but it's also connecting and networking building a personal brand and I think people settling into um, the industry. So you're talking about if you're sorry, arriving in Canada and then like kind of learning the traits. A lot of the things you just know them. For example, you said coffee meets, going to events, networking, collaborating. 
so it there's so much out there right like it, there's there's so much online that you could learn it's actually overwhelming so yeah. it's actually sometimes just the little intricate things that make the biggest difference to getting that job in the same way that sometimes just connecting with with someone like a, you're, you're basically mentoring these folks, right? You're giving them a chance to get experience. So I think that applies to anyone that might be listening that's a fresh graduate or, you know, someone who hasn't yet graduated or is maybe in high school even. They're thinking, how do I get into tech? How do I learn from these people that know more? A lot of it is just about getting to know people connecting with them as well as kind of having a good resource that's been there before and can guide you right a good guide can make a big difference absolutely and i so my clients are you know very diverse so some of them are they just want to do career transitions so right now i have like a leadership mentorship program going on and it's really you know talking about how are you going to uh, portray yourself as a leader and the really doesn't matter if you have a title of a manager or senior manager or, or a developer, you can still be a leader within that domain space. And so it's kind of breaking those um, shackles of what, you know, how do we define leader in, in our society and how do you make yourself be, uh, be present one and, and be recognized as one. Um, and then I do, um, I, and I do have a lot of um, university students or um, project management students come up and you know, ask me for advice on how do I break into tech? How do I get into being a scrum master? Um, and so I help those as well. And then I also have more of the, you know, executive kind of, I want to move up within my, uh, within my career and going from a manager to director is a big step, going from director to senior director, AVP, VP positions are a big step. And so how do you, and the difference is really on the language and the persona and the branding that you need to bring yourself in order for you to be seen in those things. And that's really what, uh, that's really the value that I provide as part of my coaching. That's awesome. Well, love to hear that you give back and, uh, and aren't just moving through your career and forgetting how it might be to not know where you're going at times or to just keep all your knowledge to yourself, right? You're putting your, um, your experience out there and you're, you're allowing other people to learn from it. So love that. And it really aligns with the work we do as well. So we've reached the time, Madhu, that we are here for the quick fire questions. It's always one of my favorite parts of the show. So uh, number one, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing that you tell your younger self on day one of their first job? Don't be afraid. And the reason why I say that is that you are the only person that's going to be limiting yourself. No matter how many people who, you know, doubt you, you're going to always have the doubters. You're always going to have the, uh, the passive aggressors and you're always going to have uh, people bringing you down. But if you let them bring you down, then it's it's on you and you, that's holding you back. They're, they will do their job and move on to the next person, but you're holding their words uh, to heart and you're not moving forward. So that's a very hard lesson that I had to learn in life. And that's something I would want to tell to my younger self as well as anyone else listening. That's great. I love to hear that. Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? Curiosity. I think that you, uh, it's hard to become a leader at this day and age if you're not curious, if you don't ask the questions. Um, and you need to have that genuinity and that authenticity when you're asking those questions so that people feel like you're asking that question because you want to help rather than you're picking at them for something that they didn't do wrong. And number three, what is the most effective strategy that you believe can improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in tech? I think 
Um, education and awareness is the most effective strategy and it's not education and uh, awareness in terms of the technical knowledge I think that's going to be that's going to be coming I think it's more about uh, we now care more about you know what is that interaction looking like? what is that culture looking like what do you know what what do I have to be in order to make it in the space to be successful in the space I think that's still a big question mark for a lot of people and yeah there's also now more of awareness on this is who I am this is my personality am I going to fit into the space and I think there's a, still a lot of education awareness that's needed around those questions and topics yeah that's a great point so I think that the the, the awareness needs to be on on both sides so for the people that are maybe not being as inclusive and making it not a space where people belong they need to learn how to be more open and to just allow people to be themselves and then i think also for people to accept that it is time to just turn up as your full self and to be unapologetic about that and so just going in and doing it and learning to belong and kind of making that space as well i think on both sides can make a big impact and just having a conversation getting to know each other so increasing that knowledge of what other cultures are like what other backgrounds might be like as well yeah absolutely so Madhu, it's been a pleasure learning about your experience, learning about you. I appreciate your open uh, and, and honest approach to everything we've asked so far. Great to learn a bit about Snap Commerce and also about the, the role of a head of Agile Delivery. So thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks, Connor. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategio.